Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, Episode 35. Welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. I'm back. Did you miss me? Last week, Anne-Marie and I headed down south to Charlotte, North Carolina, where we have some family there. Both our brothers live in, in Charlotte, and we were down there to explore a few business opportunities that are presenting themselves to us, and we just wanted to spend a little time down there and check things out. And uh, in lieu of the podcast episode last week, I shared two great guest posts over at the blog. The first one was written by my friend Jeff Eccles. Jeff shared his story of finding his first job, and he, uh, and he shared three lessons from his own experience in hunting for his own first job back in the early 1990s. So, you know, many of you probably remember that time was not quite unlike the time that we find ourselves in today in terms of the economic environment that we're digging ourselves out of right now. Um, you know, that's the same time I found my first job, so Jeff's story certainly did resonate with me. So if you didn't read that, I highly recommend that you go back to the to the blog at entrearchitect.com and check that one out. And the second guest post the last week, sort of a, a bonus guest post in lieu of the podcast episode, it was written by Greg Lavadera, 
uh, also a friend of mine. We've been uh, longtime online uh, buddies. Uh, he was actually featured a long, long time ago on EntreeArchitect.com, way before it was even called EntreeArchitect.com. He was one of my first uh, case studies of an entrepreneur architect because he uh, he has his own separate business of, uh, of house plans. So if you haven't checked him out, you should go do that. But um, his blog post was originally written as a comment to my uh, podcast episode 34, How to Raise Your Fees. And Greg's comment had so much value in his, in his words and what he said that I asked him if I could post it as an article uh, on the blog. So he said yes, and I did that. So if you missed it, I would ch- check that out also. at uh, It's called Seven Reasons Why Architects Should Not Abandon Small Projects. And it's sort of uh, seven reasons that are similar to my seven reasons why small firm architects should not abandon the AIA. And so he sort of took that format and he responded to one of my comments in the episode 34 about how to raise your fees. Uh, And his response was why we should not be abandoning small projects, that there's quite a bit of value there for for, uh, architects in small projects. And uh, I agree with much of what Greg shared. So uh, it was an excellent comment, so I wanted to share it with you. So head on over to EntreeArchitect.com and check that out. This week on the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, uh, I have a special guest, uh, a f- another friend of mine, Enoch Sears, the founder of BusinessOfArchitecture.com. Um, Enoch and I launched our uh websites at a very similar time. I'm not sure exactly when uh, businessofarchitecture.com was launched, but it was very close to the same time as uh, entrearchitect.com was relaunched. Um, each week, Enoch hosts the Business of Architecture show, which is a video podcast, uh, which may be viewed on his website or on you. He also has a great YouTube channel where all of his interviews are posted. Um, so you can subscribe to his YouTube channel and get all of them automatically. Or you could just go to his um, his website at businessofarchitecture.com and watch them there. Or you can also listen to them as audio only, which is how I consume uh, Enix content over on iTunes. I subscribe to his uh, audio podcast, which is the just the auto, audio feed of his interviews, um, so you can do that at iTunes. And, and Enoch's show is specifically focused on advancing the business of architecture through training and education. So every episode that Enoch does is about a specific topic in the business of architecture, and they get down into very specific details and with actionable tips and advice and strategies. So um, I, I highly recommend that you go over there. If you like what I'm doing here at Entrepreneur Architect, you're going to love businessofarchitecture.com. So if you haven't followed Enoch, I highly recommend that you do. So with no more babbling on my end, let's get into the interview. Enoch Sears, my friend, welcome to the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. Mark LePage, it is an honor to be here. It's kind of gives me goosebumps to think that I'm on the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. And I have to hand you one for having gotten me on your show before I was able to get you on the Business of Architecture show. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been bouncing back and forth on the internet and talking about this for a long time. So uh, I'm glad you're finally here. Yeah, we sure have. I'm glad we got around to it. And 
you know, it's it's funny how we both started at the same time, unbeknownst to each other. And I know the guys over at the Archer Speak podcast as well started up their podcast at the same time. So it's feel like there's some good energy going on here. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, a bunch of independent architects are taking charge here and, and making things happen. Yep, yep. So let's start with my usual question when I meet with people on the podcast here. Let's talk about how you found your way to architecture. Sure, okay. So, you know, I don't have a, any glamorous story about how I found architecture. Basically, uh, as a kid, I kind of had a, a normal childhood. You know, nothing, nothing too fancy. My parents weren't architects. My dad was a school teacher. I went. I grew up in a, a small rural town, about thirty thousand people, and definitely, you know, it was a. I grew up in a college-educated household, so I knew that I wanted to go to school. I knew I wanted probably to do a profession. Uh, the first thing I remember thinking of was I wanted to be an attorney, and I'm I'm grateful that I finally saw the light and decided not to do that. But you know, I, I read you know the 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 Hardy Boys books and thought that law sounded cool. Well. Come, come! I think it was junior year in high school, and it was sort of time where you know career counselors are telling you, "Hey, you got to pick a career. You're going to be applying to schools. What's your major going to be?" And you know, I took all those typical career tests, and and nothing seemed to jump out at me. But the one thing that did keep on coming up was that I just enjoyed the creative side of things. I enjoyed art. I enjoyed drawing. So I think it's a similar story to a lot of architects. Really, Mark is that I I wanted to do something that was artistic. But I, in my head, my reasoning was I also wanted to make some money. I didn't want to be a starving artist. So that was the kind of conception I had of architecture. I thought, okay, you know, architects design buildings and at the same time they're professionals and so they earn a decent salary. There's always a market for architects and it, it's a good job where you can support a family. You know, I was, didn't, wasn't going out to make, to get rich or anything, but I did want to have the opportunity to uh, make an impact and you know, design buildings, design something that was lasting. So I kind of decided to do it there in my in my junior high school and just went out, made my architectural portfolio, kind of made a list of all the schools I wanted to, my heart was set on applying to one of the top 10 uh, universities in the nation. For some reason, I had these delusions of grandeur that, you know, going to a fancy school would somehow get me ahead in the world of architecture. So uh, I settled on Cornell University and was accepted there to the architecture school um, had a great time. Uh, it was a five-year program that I was accepted to. And at the fourth year, I just decided that, you know what, I, it's, I need to go out and get in the world of architecture. And so I left Cornell um, with a degree. I had a Bachelor of Architecture in Architecture out of the architecture school there. And it, for me, it was a, it was a good thing. Um, went and started working. So that's sort of how I got into architecture. It's just you know, it seemed like it seemed like something that I would be able to do as a creative outlet. And it's it's sort of worked out that way. And how did you find your way to the West Coast if you uh, went to school on the East Coast? Well, I guess it's the it's flipped around the opposite way. So I grew up out here in California and I found my way to the East Coast oh, uh, just because of school, just because of Cornell. You know, my dad had gone to Berkeley and for some reason in my my little teenager head, I was thinking that somehow Berkeley wasn't prestigious enough for me <laughs> and I wanted to go see the East Coast because that was where all the cool things were happening. Go as far away from home as you could. Uh, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing? What are you doing now? For those who don't know, you know. Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So we hinted at the fact that um, you know, about a year ago, two years ago, I started the Business of Architecture um, website. 
Um, but let me go back a little bit further than that to yeah. kind of give a background. So I, I'm a licensed architect. I currently practice here in the States, um, in California. Without going into too much detail, I had my dream job. About, it was about five years ago. And my dream job, I was working down in Central America on a Caribbean island wow. for a resort developer. And we were doing uh, high design work. We were getting paid great money to do a lot of designs, a lot of design iterations. So I thought, you know, this is exactly what I want to do, you know, coordinating with these beautiful renderers and getting all sorts of pie in the sky designs, you know, having a blast right, and so living the, so in a gorgeous dream, location. The dream came true. You know, you, you got your job well, as an architect and made lots of money and, and the rest well, was history. <laughs> yeah, it felt like it, you know, but the, it's funny because you say that because the original dream was actually to get involved in some humanitarian housing, to um, bring housing to third world nations and people that kind of couldn't afford it, you know. Right, yeah. So I guess this was a happy medium. It was a way for me to go back and experience um, those cultures without necessarily having to um, work for a nonprofit with which a fam with a family, you know, it can be can be difficult. Yeah. So that was uh, 2007 and 2008, of course, is when the crash happened. And my firm, along with a lot of other firms, basically lost all their work. So I was left high and dry without a job. It kind of slowly went to a trickle. Um, I knew I'd always want to start my own firm. And I thought, you know what? I had had it. I had done it earlier. I did some freelancing and did some work for myself. And I thought, you know, I can do this. So I headed back to California where my wife and I uh, were both from this area. And I thought, you know, now's a great time to try to start my firm. I had a little bit of a runway just because of the unemployment insurance. You know, it was a, I was laid off. I wasn't fired. So I was entitled to a tiny little paycheck. So we weren't going to starve. And I started trying to make connections and, and meeting people. And unfortunately, the area where I grew up here in Central California is it's very agrarian based. And we always get hit a little bit harder than the um, metropolitan areas do like San Francisco and L.A. So when I came back here, Mark, it was... It was a real eye-opener for me because I was going to AIA meetings and I was talking to architects that um, a few months, a few years previously I had been interviewing with, you know, people who have amazing portfolios of projects that they've designed, who have just a wealth of knowledge, you know, architects at the top of their game. And they're basically commiserating with me and telling me how, you know, they don't have any work right now, how they're living off their retirement and they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> And I was just torn apart. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You know, is this is this architecture? Is this the way that architects, um, is this the future? You know, is this a possibility? Yeah, and, a scary time. Ah, it was really heart-wrenching, you know. Um, and for my personal life, so I I wasn't able to find, to jumpstart that practice and find any work. You know, I had a little reality check. I was just naive and, you know, you know full of ambition and... <clears throat> So I ended up to make ends meet, Mark, I was, I got a, um, I got a job throwing newspapers in the middle of the night and I would do some substitute teaching during the day. And the reason why I did that is because I was holding on to the dream of having my own practice or doing my own thing. You know, I only wanted to accept a job as a last resort because, you know, I had always wanted to have my own firm and it was sort of a, a personal test to see what I could do. And my wife was, she was down with it. She was like, okay, let's, let's hang in there and see if anything turns around. You know, after about six months of getting up at, uh, you know, 2 a.m. in the morning, throwing papers, uh, you know, and mind you, I'm a licensed architect from, you know, with a great, I guess, uh, a good background and past and I'm throwing newspapers. I'm thinking this is, something's wrong with this picture. You know, this is not what I signed up for. So I got a job offer from an architect who I'd interviewed with previously 
And it was a great position with a healthcare architecture firm. So I've been doing that for the past two years, actually the past uh, three years. A year ago, I left that position. And actually, I left with an invitation from him. That's a whole nother story. But I've been on my own for about a year now. And it's been a wonderfully fulfilling time. And I think right now, Mark, is a good time for those who are thinking about starting firms because we're, we're definitely on the upswing. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I, you know, I think I'm, I'm getting phone calls and... Yeah, this on on the East Coast, it certainly has turned a corner. Uh, yeah. the the past year has been pretty busy in the New York area, uh, and right now we're the busiest we've ever been. So it's certainly a good time. Wow. And would you say busiest we've ever been, even during the the yeah. busy times back? Uh, yeah. Well, eight years ago. Yes, but we've also changed our model, and we've you know we've yep. grown, and our reputation has changed. So things are different than they were then. I and so we are busier now than we've ever been. Uh, yeah. Whether the economy is stronger than it's ever been, I, I don't think it's probably as strong as it was. Um, but we're yeah, we're stronger yeah. than we were, so things are better for us. You know, that's you know, and that's one thing that I sort of the nut kind of I wanted to crack when I saw that it seemed like as architects we were at the mercy of the economy, and I figured if there's anything that can be done to sort of buffer ourselves from these up and downs, you know. Um, some of the, the architects I've worked for in the past, some of them were more or less good with the business side, some less than others, some better than others, you know, but it was always the, the referrals that kind of kept our firms alive. So when all those dried up, I was sort of on this mission. I really have to crack this nut. I got to figure out how do you have a successful business as an architect? And that sort of gave birth to the business of architecture It was my own personal process of, um, trying to find out how to do it, you know, how to start a firm what this marketing thing's all about, how to be, how to turn a profit, but also do good projects. And I've basically been on a quest for the past two years to, to crack that nut. And I finally feel like I, I have a good foot on it now. And so why, why start a website and write a blog and do a, do a podcast? Well, I think it goes back to the fact that I've always been a computer geek when it comes down to it. And maybe, maybe that was my true calling in life, you know, and it's funny how we sort of you know, our perspective changes as time goes on. Things that we thought we wanted to do, you know, we find out new things about ourselves. And, you know, if I think back to what I used to do for fun at school, I would actually go into the library and uh, work on web pages back in the mid, the early 90s. You know, that was HTML. And, and just, I got a real kick out of connecting with people. I remember there was these two girls that found my website. They're from the Midwest. And we started up this great, um, you know, pen pal relationship. So to me, business of architecture is kind of the same thing. It gives me a lot of personal satisfaction. But then also like you, Mark, I see that um, there's a void there in terms of information to help smaller firms and solo architects. And with the skills that I have and the talents I've been given and blessed with, you know, in terms of understanding the internet, understanding how to get a message out, I think that I'm, I'm serving humanity the best I can when I utilize it towards, you know, business of architecture. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Awesome. I, I think there's a huge void, and I think that uh, have, having the passion to do what you're doing, uh, and and taking the lead and, and making a difference is a, is something that's inspiring. Uh, and and I think many of the problems that we have in in the profession of architecture can be solved by independent architects sort of taking what they're really good at and what their you know their strengths are. And uh, and building something around it and and sharing it with others and that's exactly what you're doing. 
Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm thinking we could, there's enough fodder there for us to talk for hours and hours just about the, the industry, about our perspectives. And you've been around longer than I have, Mark. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young guy when it comes to architecture. And, you know, I know architecture at the top of their game, you know, when they're in the 40s and 50s, just because it is such a technical field, you know, and I, I love architects. I really can't say that I've met an architect that I don't like. It seems that architects tend to fit my personality pretty well. They're generally people that are very knowledgeable. They're interesting to talk to. Um, you know, so I enjoy that part of architecture. But then again, it always comes back to the business to me. If you can't make money at what you're doing, I think that I had this mistaken mindset. And I've just sort of come to this realization, Mark, that money – I was brought up, Mark, to think that money was was inherently bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I, I, I remember – go on. I, I just – I hear that so often, especially from architects, that – and, and yeah. I think it's sort of prevalent in our society that that uh, many people believe that that money is bad. It's sort of the root of all evil. And architects, because yeah. they're so based in art and and creativity, that the money becomes second. And yep. Uh, yep. and you and I both agree that that's certainly not the way to 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 be successful in anything you do. No, and recently my eyes have just been open to understand how if you look at money as an exchange of value as opposed to something intrinsic of an, of itself that has an ethical or moral um, you know substance to it, you know you think about no, it's just it's talking about the exchange of value. So when I make a profit ethically and I do it honestly, my clients telling me that they appreciated me that much. You know, that's sort of my thank you card. And then if I use that money, I can I can do great things with it. So, you know, kind of understanding that money is an enabler as opposed to, you know, because I'm rich, it means that I rip someone off or I'm greedy. Just a totally different mindset. Right, right, exactly. It allows you to do more of the good things that you want to do. Yep. And when you don't have it, like we both talked about earlier, you can't do anything. And that was where I was, you know, four or five years ago when it was like, man, I figure out without money, you can't do anything. Right. You know, and you know that we, we could take that on and talk about architects and, and, you know, when it comes to negotiating table with all the participants in the project, you know, what that says about our say and the way things go in projects. I mean, there's a whole, you know, rabbit hole we could go down there, but I guess that's for another conversation. Well, what, let's, let's get into it a little bit. What, what do you think is, you know, one of the, the biggest problems as a small firm architect, that's because that's really what you and I sort of focus on. We're talking about small firm yeah. architects. Um, what do you think one of the top problems are with small firm architects to be, you know, that uh, sort of stops us from becoming as successful as we should be? Well, I mean, that's there's so much there, but for, just from my personal experience, what I've seen is that a lot of times architects are not very good at managing client expectations. So they excel at architects. I mean, it kind of comes back down to the e-myth, you know, the book by Michael Gerber, the fact that architects don't really run good businesses because part of running a good business is managing client expectations. It's setting up a system so that you manage your projects well and you communicate that to your clients. So I've known a lot of really excellent architects who I know are personally excellent, but when I get in conversations with the clients, and these are institutional clients, these are um, clients that are not, you know, they're very um, sophisticated clients, they're, they'll unload on me. Well, you know, we're not so happy with this architect because of this, this, and this, and this other architect has done this, which kind of ticked us off, you know. And it just comes back down to 
to me, they're all symptoms of just not having what we would call a good business. Right. So, so how do you get that good business? What's, what are some of the first steps we should be doing? Go read the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, you know, just have systems. For me, it's all about systems. And the more systems you have, the better. Just to give an example, um, at my old firm where I was at previously, you know, we we hired a couple draft. We had hired a drafts person or a couple of them that needed some training. And what I found that instead of repeating myself over and over again every single day, what I would do is I would just use a free little screencast recorder. I would record what I was doing. We were we were using Revit, and so I'd basically turn one opportunity to teach into a leverageable piece of content. So he asked me, okay, Enoch, how do I modify this family in Revit? I'd say, okay, I'll tell you what, let me get back to you in five minutes. I'm going to record a screencast. I'm going to upload it to the shared folder. That way you can look at it. And then in the future, when anyone ever has that same question, I send them to the video. So you kind of multiply that by everything you do in your business. You kind of um, min minimize the repetitive nature of things so you can just focus on the things that take, you know, your real brain power. So that's sort of the systems. That's just one small example. I'm sure people know what systems are, but I guess that's what I'm talking about when I think that that's probably a good way to start because if you have the systems, you're not flying by the seat of your pants. You sort of have an instruction manual of how things work and then the business becomes something that um, has asset. It has a value. You can pass it on in the future. Someone can come step in if you're not there. You know, there's all sorts of benefits to having a business that's an asset as opposed to just a service profession. That's a, an outstanding example of a system because when I talk well, about- thank you, Mark. <laughs> you're welcome. When I, <laughs> when I talk about systems to architects, their eyes glaze over. Um, yeah, I know. And, and, it's rather and dry. They, well, no, it's, and it, uh, that's not what I mean. I think it's more okay. about they, they understand what they are, but they don't want anything yeah. to do with them because they think yeah. that they're going to restrict their creativity and that they're going to uh -huh. make them boring and it's going to be repetitive over and over again. They're going to do the same things over and over again. But your example is a perfect example of what we should be doing. Instead of doing the same thing over and over and over again, we should turn it into a system. And, and then once you've created it, then you can add it to all your other systems. And then you have a whole system of systems that every time you have a question, you can go back to your manual or go back to your online uh, database and search for that answer and it will be there because you've already done it once and your example of using it as, as a software tutorial is a great one because that's something i think architects can really hang on to and understand the benefit of doing something like that and once they start doing it there they'll realize how important it is and they can start applying it to other parts of their businesses bingo bingo you know leverage your time do it once and try to think of ways to to use it again and again so uh, let's let's just stick with that one that one example, what are, let's get into some more specifics about that. You talked about doing a ScreenFlow um, a presentation. Explain yep. what that is and and what are some of the alternatives if you can't get ScreenFlow or how do you get ScreenFlow and, and some of that. That is a great question. I'm glad you're diving into this, Mark, because I know a lot of times for us when this is, you know, we understand how this works, but it's easy to forget that for other people, they might not know what these tools are. So there's a great little tool. There's several of them. One of them that I use is uh, called Jing. It's J-I-N-G by TechSmith. It's a free tool. It will allow you to record your screen up to five minutes in length, and that will actually allow you to upload that to a, an offsite server so you don't have to save those videos on your computer. 
there's another one that I like right now. It's actually called, and I'm on PC, Mark. Okay. So it's going to be yep. different for yep. all the Mac people out there. Right. Um, but there's another one called Screencast-O-Matic that I really like. And that one's really cool because it allows me with one click to upload something to YouTube and I can make it unlisted. So just to give an example of the workflow, so say I want to uh, record something that I'm doing and I, I even used to use this with consultants, et cetera, to like maybe give them some feedback instead of writing out a long email that takes a long time. Yeah. So what I would do is I would pull up my Screencast-O-Matic or my Gene program. It allows me to se select an area on the screen. I hit record. I have a, a microphone hooked up to my computer, so that's the one thing you need if you have a webcam, same thing. And then I just talk through the process of doing it. I press stop, I hit the one button to upload to YouTube or to Dropbox, and then it will give me a link that I can then send to someone, and it also gives me privacy controls. You know, I can have it so that only I can see it, so only people I want can see it, or so that the whole world can see it. And it's and it's recording your computer desktop, so everything that's on your screen is being recorded on the on the, the file. Correct. So everything that they see that I'm doing with my mouse and I can talk as I do it. And a lot of times they'll even put a little, um, it'll show you when you click by putting a little symbol or maybe a yellow circle where your mouse is. So it makes it very understandable to be able to convey information you might not otherwise be able to, to convey. So then I build a library, you know, I have a naming system, you know, um, Revit tutorials get named by this prefix. So we can always go back and search later by that prefix and just quickly find the video we're looking for. And, and for those of you that may be on Mac, uh, the software that I use is ScreenFlow. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So that, and that does the same thing. Yep. And, and um, Jing is free, right? It is, it is, yes, up for five minutes. There's a little bit more heavy-duty version that I recommend you get. Um, if you're on PC, it's called Snagit, and it's about $60. Um, it's great because you can actually, it has a lot more annotative tools to mark stuff up and uh, take screenshots and do all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, I've heard I've heard good things about Snagit. I haven't looked at that. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What are some of the other systems that you would be that you're using? Well, let's see. Right now, I'm um, I have a virtual team, so I have a couple people that help me out with my drawings. Well, let's um, let's talk about that a little bit. What's okay. A, sure. What's a virtual team, and how does that work? Okay. So I'm a sole practitioner. I don't have any employees. I'm a startup firm and I, I'm running bootstrap here and I don't want to take on the overhead of having to be committed to an employee's salary at the moment. So I found a, an excellent draftsman. He's based out of Utah and we communicate with a free tool like Skype, like we're talking with now or with telephone. Uh, we can do screen share with GoToWebinar, have an account to GoToMeeting, and so I can do that. But Skype also has screen sharing. And that's very handy because it's, you know, I guess the ideal would be to be in the same office where I could look over his shoulder. But a very, very close second to that is being able to have screen sharing applications. And, you know, Mark, even when I was down, if you think about, you know, I, I know a lot of people, they hesitate because, you know, they really do like that one-on-one -on -one you know, meeting face to face. And I'm not detracting from that. That is super important. But when I was down in Panama, we had to do everything remotely. And I know large firms, they have to do the same thing. They have to, so the tools are out there. So we use, right now I'm using my CAD program of choice is BricsCAD. And I saved myself uh, $4,500 by using that. It's, uh, it's actually, I prefer it to AutoCAD because it's just kind of a better program. But that allows me to open up. He's on AutoCAD, so he does everything in AutoCAD. I do it in BricsCAD. 
Um, I have my own custom menus and everything that I use, and we can exchange files. We keep everything in a shared Dropbox, so that's a cloud-based program that syncs my local files to his local files. So it's kind of cool because I can know when he's working because it'll sh- it'll pop up a little notification right. that says, yep. you know, this file was added to your Dropbox, and I can say, okay, cool, he's working on that drawing, and then we can touch bases. So that's what I mean by digital team. It's a virtual team. It's just someone in another location, and we communicate and collaborate through digital tools. Yeah, and that's exactly how we work now as well. We've For 11 years, we worked in a big studio with a whole bunch of people in one big room. And yep. uh, this past November, we did the same thing. We we uh, had the opportunity to, we, we were at the end of our, our lease, and rather than renewing it for the fourth time and spending a whole lot of money on rent, uh, we send everybody home <laughs> with their computers. Yep. And uh, now we're all in our own remote studios. And I have also a virtual team that's, you know, not local. Uh, and, and we're saving a tremendous amount of money. I think it's the future of small firm architects. Yeah, I mean, it's a competitive advantage, no yeah. doubt about it. You know, it really is. Yeah, I, I agree that, that there's a benefit to being in one big room. Um, but I think yeah. the tools, as as they advance and they become more sophisticated and more options happen and, and eventually it'll be live streaming, you know, video that's on all the time. And yeah. I can, I'll be able to see my team working as if they were sitting next to me. That, and I, you know, those tools are there now. It's just a matter of how quickly they're adopted and how, how you know, advanced they get. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an interesting next five years. There's so many changes. You know, the BIM is a huge uh, game changer in all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and virtual and, distributed teams. Yeah, exactly. And and for small firms that that when you when you had to have the forty five hundred dollar CAD program and the three thousand dollar rent bill, and you know all of these expenses that add up that today are going away. Um, you still have the option to do all those things, and and there's certainly advantages and benefits to to doing those things. Um, but you can start up a firm today for virtually nothing. Yep, yep. You know, it really is where I I mean, from my perspective, Mark, we're entering an era of the commoditization of technical know-how and technical skills. Yeah, it it's so it's a pretty amazing time that we're living through right now. Yeah, you know, and I think the people who uh, who survive and are going to have extra value are the people who are able to use their creativity because that's the one thing you can't you can't outsource creativity. You yeah. can't outsource innovation or good solutions. No doubt, no doubt. So, you know? so architects will never go away. Yeah. So, uh, business of architecture is is doing well. Um, and it is. Um, I hear that you're doing something new. You have a new project. What's that? Yeah, we are. So, you know. Uh, with Business of Architecture, both you and I know with our respective uh, websites, we get a lot of interaction with really what's happening with other architects, the problems they're experiencing, their main challenges. And something that kept on coming up again and again, Mark, was how do I find clients? How do I find clients? Right. And this is a personal quest for me because, of course, that was my big question back in the day is if I don't want to work for someone else, if I want to have the flexibility to work with who I want to work with, how do I establish those relationships? So the idea of how do you set up client attraction systems? You know, what is it that makes clients choose one architect over another architect? How come some architects seem to get all the work and all the great projects while other architects who are maybe equally as capable or maybe even better suffer and 
you know, go into retirement barely scraping by because they can't make ends meet. So I knew there had to be something else besides the capability of being a good architect that related to success in terms of financial success and getting clients, you know. So uh, Eric Bobro, who is a buddy of mine, um, he's, he's an Archicad trainer, but also an expert internet marketer. We've started up a new website called Architects Marketing. It's architects with an S, architectsmarketing.com. And that, so that website is exclusively devoted to marketing resources and talking about what it takes for architects to bring a new business. And Eric brings a wealth of experience. He's been working with architects for the past three years as clients, as a marketing consultant. So we have some excellent case studies of businesses that even while I've been working with him, we've helped to grow in terms of getting them new leads through online means using all sorts of cool cutting edge stuff that is just, uh, a lot of architects haven't even heard of, of some of the stuff that we're doing, you know, in terms of marketing. So what is, what is architectsmarketing.com? It's a site for us to, we have a new show on there similar to the Business of Architecture podcast where Eric and I will riff on marketing. We're going to have you know, be answering questions. So the basic theme of that th- um, of that site is how can you get more of the right kind of clients for your firm? How can you create the kind of business that you want, attract the kind of projects you want so that architecture becomes something where you're proactive and it's not just reactive. You're not having to take the projects that come to you, but you're creating a systematic strategy to be able to get where you want to get to. So that's architectsmarketing.com. And, you know, we have articles on there Last year, we ran a, a paid architect marketing academy where we took uh, nine architects through implementing a, a marketing system for their business, and we teamed up with uh, Australian marketer Richard Petrie. You can find out more about him on Business of Architecture, but it's just been fun, Mark, working with those two guys, and so right now, we're actually launching um, a lot more information about that, and we're opening up that course once again for architects who want to get the inside scoop on these business systems. And of course we share practically everything we're doing on there for free. It's on the, it's on the websites, on the podcast, but for those people who want to take it to the next level, you know, we do offer that in terms of uh, a course that people can take and go through. All right. So you can, you can, you can get the information by listening to the podcast or you can uh, immerse yourself in it and get really focused and, and, uh, and, and make it happen. Take yourself to yep. the next level. Yep. Do you have uh, a couple of tips that you can kind of share here with with how a small firm architect could could attract some good clients? Absolutely. And you know, it's it's funny you ask that. There was an article that Richard wrote, and I kind of contributed to a little bit. I posted on Business of Architecture, and we posted it on ArchitectsMarketing.com. And Mark, this this article went viral. I woke up yesterday, and it had over seven hundred Facebook shares. That's great. You know, and well, the content was the reason. So it just yeah. resonated. Right. And the reason why is Richard was talking about a silent war that architects are facing. It's a war of ignorance in terms of if, you, if you're working with consumers. So if we're talking about residential architects, let's let's talk about homeowners. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there about what architects do. And that's something that we have to combat with our marketing materials. You know, they watch Home and Garden TV and it makes it look like, these designers come in, they do everything in a weekend. And so what do we expect when they call us up and they, they balk at our fees? You know, man, that guy designer did that in, in a weekend. You know, why is it going to cost X dollars to do that? So that is one of the battles. And 
to answer your question, what are some tips? How do we how do we fight that battle? So that's the first battle. The second battle that we've identified is that it seems like a lot of architects have just given up on making money and having fun doing architecture. You know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I know I've thought it myself, you know. Uh, you know, the the cookie cutter architects are the only guys that make money. Or the guys that do the strip centers, the guys that work for McDonald's, those are the guys that actually make money. But, you know, we're better than that because we we're poor and we do designs we love. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I recently um, I had a survey that I put out the um, the Entrepreneur Architect Business Trends Survey, and one of the questions was, "Did have you considered leaving the profession in the last twelve months?" More than twenty five percent considered wow. considered leaving. Wow, that's that's a that's, that's a pretty incredible. huge number. You know. It is. And, you know, considering what we've been through, I can definitely understand that because we, we got kind of hit by an, basically an atomic bomb, you know. Yeah. But I, I think it does point at some systematic problems, you know, within kind of the way our, our, I don't know, just about architecture stuff that we've talked about before, you know, during this during this call. Yeah. So, so if we think about, you know, this the second war, Mark, of architects basically giving up so not even thinking that it's possible to create great architecture and make good money at it you know and there was a great quote that he posted from um, a Reba group and this is this this article look for search for silent war business of architecture and you'll find that article I'll but post, he talks I'll about post it on the show notes here as well okay appreciate it appreciate it mark he um he talked about uh, a linkedin group comment where someone was asking a linkedin group in the uk uh, about career advice for their son. Basically, my kid wants to, is thinking about being an architect. You know, do you have any advice for him? And people were kind of cynical. Some people said, uh, don't get into this profession. It's it's horrible. You know, you won't make any money. And then um, go go be a doctor or a lawyer. And then other people said, well, you know, it's not really about the money. It's just about loving what you do. So if you enjoy it, then, you know, you should consider being an architect. But the interesting thing was no one said that it's possible to make money and do great architecture. So it was like people have sort of given up, you know, and that was the second battle is they've just, you know, they've given up on making money, having a good business. And, and so that's, that's the battle we're fighting, Mark. And to give you an idea of what small firm architects could do, it's about having a system once again, and we break it down into three separate parts. The first part is getting the leads. The second part is turning those leads into meetings and then the last part is turning the meetings into clients. So each one of those little parts has different subparts. So if you look at getting leads, you know, you may get a million leads, but if they're all poor quality or they're not the kind of jobs you want, it's not going to do you any good. So what we find is that if we have an architect who's struggling, their first problem is usually that they're just not getting enough leads in the door. So the first focus that, that we look at when we do marketing consultations is we say, okay, how are we going to get more exposure for this architect? How are we going to get more eyes on what they're doing? And how are we going to get more people to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm looking for an architect? So once we get that number up, then the next thing we do is we say, okay, not all these people are going to be the kind of clients that's going to be a fit for this particular architect. So there has to be a qualification process. And so you qualify the clients. The ultimate goal is to only spend your time with people who are, who are qualified, who aren't going to be spending your time you know, giving away free advice and stuff like that. Right. Your, your target so, market. 
hitting your target market. You know, it's it's all about messaging, and it's it's hard to kind of give an overview of it in our short conversation here. Yeah. But if I if I had to give a couple pointers for, you know, architecture, and it's really different uh, different depending on what uh, what particular niche you're in. But let me give you one one small example of something that we found to be very very effective. Now, if you think about architectural services. Uh, just imagine in your mind for a second a ladder that has the bottom two rungs missing. So you're, you got to climb up to the roof and you have to jump up to the third rung as opposed to having the first rung. Very similar to the process that we generally try to take our clients through with architectural services. They go from being an unknown to having a meeting with us to signing up for a $20,000 plus contract. Right. You know, so that is a huge, huge leap in terms of sales process. So what we do is we say, okay, we need to break that sales process down and give them a smaller bite-sized chunk that they can, you know, get to know us better, where we can educate them a little bit. So one thing that we work with architects to do is to set up some sort of system to have a paid first initial consultation. And this has just worked wonders for the architects that are doing it when it's structured correctly. So instead of having to give out lots of free time chasing meetings or giving away free proposals or spending their time chasing projects, if they very clearly talk about the benefits that the client's going to be getting from this, this paid mini consultation, basically I'm going to do what other architects do for free, which is, but I'm going to do it better, of course, because you're paying me. I'm going to look into the setbacks. I'm going to talk about the historic district that relates to your property. We're going to talk about any seismic codes that may affect your project. We're going to run, you know, floor area ratio. So you take them through this process and give them, give it a name. So it has to have a name. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to be initial consultations. It's going to be something cool like needs and options review. Mm-hmm. And you give it a name, you give it benefits, you give it a price that's introductory, maybe $750, $1,500, just depending on you know, how you work as an architect, 2,500. But the idea here is that you're solving a lot. You're taking a lot of risk out of the process for the client. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make it easier for them to marry us instead of just trying to get the, get married to them on the first date. That's a, that's a great idea. You know, know, at our firm, we do that initial consultation for free. And, um, I talked to many architects and, and, Many of them are charging for it just so they can get paid for it. But what you're proposing, yeah. you're not talking about just doing it to get paid for it. You're talking about making it part of your, your marketing system to, exactly. to, to, to get that client to sign up with you at a small, not a small commit commitment and yep. which will allow you to build the rapport and build a relationship and build the trust that you need to take it to the next level. A- excellent, excellent tip. Yeah, thanks. It it really we find also interestingly enough, like you said, it's not about the money; it's about educating the client. So what we find is that when people go through this process, first of all, if you're going to make a very expensive decision, Mark, and you're going to risk a large amount of money, and someone comes to you and says, "Listen, I'm going to charge you. It's not going to be a lot, but I'm going to cover all the bases, and you can be sure that because I'm charging you, I'm doing a very thorough research job." And then you have another guy over here that says. Oh, you know what? Yeah, come on over for a free consultation. We'll go through everything, and then I'll give you a proposal for a hundred thousand dollars. Right, right. You know, um, you're training the client, so that's one benefit. But then also, you you kind of train them to value your time, so it has a couple of extra benefits. And uh, you know, I've used it in my practice, and and it works. And it's not for everyone. You know, one way if if you don't feel comfortable charging for a meeting, one thing that we suggested you could just say, you know, normally my normal billing rates, whatever, two hundred fifty dollars an hour. 
Um, I'm going to cut that in half, $150 for you. And you can choose the charity that you want the fee to go to. I mean, there's a number of ways to structure it, um, but there's some cool things that you can do there. So, Yeah, that's a, that's anyway. a, that's a great idea. Um, makes me want to sign up myself. You come on over. <laughs> come on over, Mark. We'd love to have you. Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, if, if the rest of the program is anything like that, I think, uh, I think you might see me over there. <laughs> I can say it is, you know, Richard Petrie, who's the, the guy that's given us a lot of our strategy and sales techniques, you know, he's, he's a pretty high powered guy. He used to be on the national uh, cricket team for New Zealand. So he's a real go getter mm -hmm. and, you know, he's trained hostage negotiators. So he knows all about the psychological hooks and techniques. And so we've developed his sales experience with our marketing experience and our online experience into this, this program that sort of kind of gives you a, a plug and play marketing system for your firm, you know? Yeah. Sounds so I don't want to plug it too much, but obviously there's yeah. a lot of free information and then there's the, if you want to go more in depth, there's the paid version. Yeah. I mean, my so that's a shameless plug. Yeah. My intent certainly wasn't to, uh, to, to turn it into a sales call, but it's, it's, uh, it's whenever I start talking to guys about what they do and the passion they have, it always turns into lots of excitement and, 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 uh, you know, motivation. And, and it's not really about, you know, trying to sell the product. It's about sharing your, your knowledge. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, by, by charging for this course, like we do, and we also offer phone scripts and plug in, you know, stuff that they can use in their business, but it allows us to offer a better, obviously, you know, that's, we going back to money again, you know, it's an exchange of value, you know, so come on over. We'll give you as much as we can for free. I know you do the same thing with Entrepreneur Architect. You give away a wealth of information for free. So I think just the way, Mark, that you structure Entrepreneur Architect, if people look at that as actually a marketing campaign and then figure out how they can apply that to their business, you know, there's a lot of lessons there to be learned. Right, right, exactly. Yep. Well, this is uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, it's uh, even more interesting than I thought it might be. Well, I'm not sure whether how to take that, Mark. That, no, that was a, no, no, that was a very. <laughs> I I thought it would be a very interesting conversation. I just it it was even more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I know exactly what you mean, and I know we're friends, so I can I can yeah, jab at you like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so t give me some, uh, some places where people can find you again, just to make sure everybody uh, can, can write it down. Sure. Definitely follow me at business of arch, um, on Twitter, but I would highly recommend if you really want to connect with me and get the marketing materials that I'm sharing and the different stuff that's going on at business of architecture, just go to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash free. You'll be able to download my book, Social Media for Architects, that has some good information there about using digital tools and social media for business development. But what that will do, that will put you on my email list. So I'll be sending out, you know, kind of updates on what I'm doing in terms of the marketing and also the people I'm interviewing over there. And, you know, like you, Mark, I make it a point to interact with anyone who's on my email list um, because it's not about, you know, mass mailing people. It's about building relationships. And yeah, exactly. I honestly truly believe that. I uh you had hinted at it a little bit earlier, but I think the the architecture world, the, the community that we have in architecture, especially online, um, it's filled with a lot of really great people. And uh, mm -hmm. we've made a lot of friends online, including you. So uh, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you and what you're doing. And, uh, and thanks for being with me here today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, Mark. I'll see you online. Okay, bye-bye. Right, thanks. Well, Edix certainly brought the goods with him this week. That episode was packed 
with actionable tips and strategies. Thank you very much, Enoch. And I'll have all the links to everything we discussed at the show notes over at the blog at entrearchitect.com slash episode 35. Also, Enoch shared an additional goodie with me after our chat. Um, if you act quickly, there might be a few seats left for a free training workshop that Enoch and his partners are offering on Thursday, June 19th. That's 2014, if you're listening to this in the future. But if you're listening to this episode on the day it's released, June 19th is today. So go right now to architectsmarketing.com slash training. That's architects with an S, architectsmarketing.com slash training and reserve your seat if you're looking for ways to attract more clients. And truthfully, how many of us are not hoping to do that? Uh, I think that training will be certainly worth your time. So uh, head on over there and do that. And tell Enoch we said hi from Entrepreneur Architect. So I'm off again next week. My, I'm heading off to Chicago for AIA Convention 2014, where I've been invited to speak and participate in several events there. I'm super stoked about going to Chicago for AIA Convention. I get to hang out with some great people, meet some of you guys who uh, I only get to see once a year at convention. And, uh, and I hope you'll come out and support me in my mission to spread the word about Entrepreneur Architect. And uh, if, if you want to know where I am and when I'm going to be there and what I'm going to uh, present, I posted my schedule on the blog at entrearchitect.com slash Chicago. So you can go there and that's the current post at the blog, uh, entrearchitect.com slash Chicago. And if you are attending the convention, please come and find me and say hi. I'd love to meet as many of you as I can. So next week, no podcast episode, but I'll be back on July 3rd with another great episode of the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. Until then, my name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an Entrepreneur Architect. Thanks for listening. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well, well buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical <laughs> Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, 
and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.